You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me here today. Steve Gordon is a five-time published author. Steve Gordon helps professionals and experts like attorneys become million-dollar published authors. He actually has worked out a formula for that, and he's been doing it for the last, if I'm not mistaken, 13 or 14 years. Steve, welcome to the show. Sasha, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Perfect. First, what led you to go into this business? I know that you used to do something completely different prior to this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a recovering engineer. And I grew an engineering consulting firm for about uh, 12 years. Um, Started out of college, got asked to take over CEO when I was 28, then then grew that firm. And, uh, you know, I was leading the the sales and marketing in that firm. And we were were doing some interesting things. But I found that that was way more interesting than the engineering we were doing. And so I decided uh, in 2010 to leave that and, and, uh, and start another company and help professional service businesses grow using very effective marketing. Um, and so that's how we, we sort of started. Um, we didn't start off writing books for people. It really wasn't until a few years later that, that we got into that. Um, you know, I, I wrote my first book in 2014. So it's actually this year has been 10 years and, um, and just transformed the business overnight. You know, I looked around and all of the other consultants in the industry that were successful had written a book. I thought, I got to have a book, uh, but I failed twice trying to write that first book. Um, it just, for whatever reason, I couldn't get all the way through it successfully. And finally, the third try, uh, I was able to get it finished. I wrote that that book in uh, about an hour a day over 35 days. And that was really the beginning of the process that we use with our, our clients now. So fast forward to, to launching that book, uh, I had just 15 friends, colleagues from around the industry help share the book when we launched it. And uh, we were just blown away. Over 5,000 people got a copy of the book in the first week. So we went from a tiny one and a half person marketing firm in Tallahassee, Florida. And for those who are listening who don't know where Tallahassee is, we're the 11th largest market in Florida, which means we're not a very big place. So we go from those sort of humble beginnings to within a week, I'm getting inquiries from clients all over the U.S. and all over the world and um, transform the business overnight. So um, so that was sort of how we got got started in creating books. Um, so a few of our clients saw that and said, hey, can you do that for me? And of course, we, we helped them with it. And I noticed that every time we could take someone in professional services and get them to write a book, they did exponentially better than every other client that we worked with. Um, and so now that's all we focus on. Super interesting. How does writing and publishing a book translate into dollars or specifically million dollars because the formula is million dollar author? Well, so the the uh, answer is not by selling books. Uh, you know, most of our clients uh, come to us because they're looking to use the book to attract new clients to the firm. They want to bring in, you know, new cases, and and that's really the way that you hit that seven figure in, in additional revenue uh, from the book. 
because you're bringing in more clients, you're bringing in better clients, usually bigger cases. Um, and you're doing that because you're now seen as the trusted authority in your marketplace. So let's play out a scenario. Let's say that you are working with a founder of a family law firm. 80% of the work they do are divorces. What kind of book should this founder of the law firm, the principal of the law firm publish and how would that person use it to leverage or how would they leverage that book to grow their business? So it depends on their market, right? So we're working with uh, a, a founder right now who uh, has a, a family law firm in Southeast Florida and she's right. Her firm focuses on divorces for men. And so the book is around all of the issues that, that men struggle with as they're going through divorce, what the things they're worried about. Um, and, and then it reveals a little bit of her process for how she helps them. And, and part of that obviously is taking them through the, the legal process. And, and part of that is, is uh, just in the interactions and the, the sort of strategy that she brings to the table and thinking through how do we overcome these, these problems? Because it's not always a one size fits all uh, you know, approach for all of her clients. And so those are the sorts of things as we're working with lawyers that we want to pull out of them. And a lot of times I find that for a lot of professionals, it's, it's difficult for them to see what's really valuable within the, the firm and within the practice of what they're doing. So having that outside eye sometimes really helps to, to pinpoint where the value is. Mm. So I'm very curious about this. Let's imagine that she has already published this book. It's been a full year since the book was published. And now her business is, let's say, 30% larger. What did she have to do to increase that revenue in those 12 months using that book? So first thing she's got to do is, is launch the book successfully. What, what, so does, that mean? what you, does that mean to launch a book successfully? Well, so when, when you publish a book, you have sort of this honeymoon phase when the book is new and it's newsworthy within your market, within your network that you've published a book. Um, and you'd be shocked at, at the level of support that you'll find from the people in your professional network when you publish the book. So all of your referral sources, all of your past clients, they all get very excited. All your current clients get extremely excited because now this is confirmation that they're connected with an important person. And the very first thing that we do with our clients is we want to activate all of that goodwill and we want to get those people sharing the book. And what we find is that when we do that within the first few days or weeks that the the initial clients begin coming in from the book because for most professionals, they've got deals that are hiding in their network. There are people that need their help that either don't know about them or, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, Sasha, but you ever had somebody come up to you and say, oh, I never realized you did that. I just hired, you know, the, the company down the street, Oops. right? Uh, happens all the time. And, that's because we often take for granted what people know about us. So when we launch the book, we want to get it out into 
your network really quickly and get it to spread through the network because that's going to bring almost immediate new business back in. Um, our record so far in launching a book is five hours. So five hours after launching the book, one of our clients landed a, a new $38,000 engagement. Um, and it was because someone in his network, he shared it, followed our launch process, shared the, that the book was published. One of his former clients got the book, knew someone who needed his services, and it was the prompt that that person needed to make that referral. Um, and so by like, we launched the book at eight o'clock in the morning by one forty-five in the afternoon, he had walked out with a new contract. Um, and everybody has that, that sort of new business that's just nearby and hiding. And we want to, we want to reveal it really quickly. So the launch process is going to last maybe 45 days or 60 days. And, um, and so that's the first phase to, to get to that, that million dollar level. The second phase is now creating what we call the book ATM. So you want to create an ongoing evergreen marketing process. And I know you guys are really good at, at helping law firms with this that leverages the book. And so to do that, it might be looking at what you're already doing. If you're already running advertising, for example, you may just want to add the book into the advertising mix, either as a something that you're using to retarget with to, to leads that haven't converted or as a lead generator itself. These are, I, I have found that books are the, the single best lead generation tool um, that, that you could ever find. We've tried all sorts of things over the last 15 years. Um, there's very little that will beat a book because it's got a high perceived value by the, the prospect. They think they're going to act they're, they're, they're really going to get some meat out of it and they should. Um, it's got very low risk. So there's no risk that someone's going to jump out of the book and, you know, sell them legal services. And, um, and it's also generally very low cost. So most professionals will either give away or sell at a low cost a copy of their book to a potential client. And so for a prospect, it, it's everything that they want. It gives them the ability to really understand who you are and what you're about and, um, and do that in a very low risk way. Um, and from the, the law firm perspective, you now get to put all of your best ideas out there and let those ideas go do the selling for you. So that when someone comes to you, they're sort of indoctrinated in the way that you think and the way that you approach things. And so the very best experience that you could ever hope to have is when somebody's coming into your office for that intake meeting and they've got a copy of the book and, and there's, you see sticky notes coming out the side and they open it up, you see they've highlighted things and they start quoting back to you chapter and verse from your method for helping them. It just makes sales so easy. That's brilliant. L let me use an example that I learned over a decade ago, visiting a marketing conference here in Chicago. I think it was 2012. There was a guest speaker who I got to meet and he's just an incredible individual. His name is Dr. Burleson. So Dr. Burleson is a dentist, was a dentist. When he was going to dental school, he wasn't thinking about becoming a great dentist. He was looking for a profession that would always feed his family, that would always give him, that would also give him an opportunity to build a substantial business. 
the issue that he had while he was in dental school, he was looking for also information how to grow the business. Now, this is going back to 2000. So let's say 2005, 2006, somewhere there. And as he was looking for the information, what he realized was that dental business had a few specialties and the best specialty that he liked was orthodontics. He was like, I never wanted to do fillings. I never wanted to do crowns. I just wanted to have as clean of a job as possible and it doesn't get much cleaner than working with teens or preteens and doing their braces. Plus dollar value was substantial. But then he was like, all right, how do I build a business out of it rather than a practice? So he was looking for a way when he already started, he was looking for a way to scale things up. But what he saw was everyone in his market, which was Kansas City, was doing very, very incestuous type of marketing and advertising. Back to school special, $500 off of braces. Invisalign, $350 off. Everybody advertised the same thing. Now he started doing the same thing and business was okay. He was making money, but he realized that as long as he does this, he is forever going to be a practitioner because there was no way for him to scale it up. He was doing what everybody else was doing and everybody in the world of orthodontics has one or two practitioners. That's the model. You can't really scale it up. You can only advertise that $350 off of braces so much. So one day he came across a very different concept, which was, and I'm going to promise to tie the dots here, connect the dots here. He learned the concept, the difference between a sales cycle and a buying cycle. And a sales cycle begins the moment that a patient would call his office to schedule an appointment. And it's not even the patient. It was the economic buyer, which was always the mom, never the dad, but always the mom who would schedule an appointment. And within a week or two, the mom and the kid was in his office. They were in his office and they would either buy or not buy more often than not. If they made their way to his office, they would buy. His close rate was something like 90%. And the selling cycle was about two weeks. So from the moment they would call his office to the moment that they signed on the dotted line and ran that credit card, two weeks. But the buying cycle concept that he learned was the buying cycle starts much earlier, way earlier than the sales cycle. The buying cycle begins when that prospective customer, client, or patient says, I think I have a problem or a need or a want. So he started this discovery. He would ask every mom, when did you first think about getting your child braces? And through a series of interviews that took months, he learned that sometime approximately 11 months before they would call his office, there would be two moms standing on the sidelines of some sort of a sporting event, either a soccer field, a basketball court, something. And they would be talking and one mom would say, hey, we got our fill in the blank braces. And the mom would say, oh, is it time? And the mom would say, yeah, we thought it was time. And then she would go home and she would tell her husband, did you hear that Susan got? And the husband would go, we don't need that. And she would think, the hell we don't. And the next thing she would do is she would go online and start digging up information about something that she has very little knowledge of. She would start researching how much do braces cost what is the process how long does it take to straighten out the teeth will they be wearing their braces all throughout high school and college because those things are not comfortable she would have a standard list of questions that she didn't know she had but she would inevitably go through those questions and once she would bring the office of an orthodontist 
the list of questions that she had, because she did her research online, would be about yay long. But she started off with a list that was about yay big. So Dr. Burleson, without knowing it, walks into this multi, multi, multi-million dollar idea. He's like, all right, we're going to continue advertising $350 off of braces, but I need to get into this conversation that she's having in her head 11 and a half months earlier. How do I do that? I'm going to write a book. And this book is going to be for moms and kids and dads because we're going to talk about finances and how it's going to all pay off one day because your kid is not going to hate, hate you because they're 22 and they're dating and their kid teeth are like that, like this. So how do you write a book? So he hired someone. And the way that he created that book was he thought about every single question that a mom would ever have, that a kid would ever have, and that a dad would ever have. And he wrote a book that was mom-friendly, dad-friendly, and kid-friendly. And then he started promoting that book through Google Ads and in magazines. Back then, this is we're talking about 15 years ago, magazines were still a big thing, much bigger thing than they are today, but they still exist. And all other media where moms would consume information, he started advertising, not $350 off of braces, but he started advertising the book. He told us that, his competitors thought that he was just plain stupid. Not only was he plain stupid for creating the book, he was plain stupid because he would give it away. He would charge a dollar for shipping the book. And the reason why he charged a dollar, he wants to make sure that it was not just a BS inquiry. So he had moms pay a dollar and everybody would pay a dollar for that book because it made their research process that much easier. Fast forward a few years, 2012 or 13, I forget the exact year, Dr. Burleson is on the stage explaining how in a few years he went from being a superstar model, which means there is one practitioner and everybody else supports that practitioner, to employing 20 orthodontists. He gave full credit to exponentially growing the business within something like four or five years to learning the concept of difference between the buying cycle and the sales cycle, writing the book and promoting the book instead of promoting $350 of braces. I recently looked him up. It's been years since he sold his business to a corporate dental company. I assume he walked away with, let's say, 20 orthodontists. Let's say each one was doing a million dollars in revenue, 20 million dollars in revenue. It's a it's a professional service, 20% net profit margin, $4 million a year because of his size. He probably sold it for seven to times EBITDA. So four or $5 million times seven to eight times, 35 to $40 million because he wrote the book. It's a very significant ROI there on writing the right type of book. But now let's talk about the mechanics of writing a book because Lawyers are experts. Marketers are experts. All professional service providers, if they're worth anything, are experts in what they do. But sitting down and writing a book is not something anyone wants to do. Uh, let me take it back. I think a lot of us want to do it. We just want to do it. We might actually start and then fail to complete, let alone publish. So what's the mechanics of successfully publishing a book that actually generates that additional wealth, not just revenue, but actually wealth in the business and beyond? Well, so let's talk first about what goes in the book, okay? Because what I love about that story is that he thought through all of the, the questions, which are really roadblocks 
to somebody being able to become a, a patient of his or a client, uh, he thought through all of that and put that into the book. So what I see a lot of professionals do and the, the big mistake that that they make is they think that this is all about, I got to go prove how smart I am. You know, I got all these letters after my name. And so now let me go flex that muscle. And that's the expert way to do things. Yeah. Um, but that's the wrong way to approach this, right? This has got to be a, approached from the perspective of your buyer of your future client. Um, and, and so the way we like to think about that is that a book has three parts. It has a beginning, which begins with what is, what is your ideal client really struggling with? What's keeping them up at night? What are the problems that they're going to turn to you to solve that they just, they don't know how to think about it. They don't know what the, all of the implications of it are. If you can connect with them there, you'll have their attention. And so we start the book there. And at the end of the book, the other sort of, uh, you know, bookend to the process is over here, you want to paint a picture of what's the future look like? What's possible if you've resolved the problem that they have? And that's great that you've got the start and the end point of a journey for them. But Clients want to see that you have a process that you've thought through that will transform their problem into that bigger, better future that, that you're giving them a vision of. And, and that's a bridge we call that the unique mechanism. And so the unique mechanism is usually what are the four, five, six, maybe seven steps that you take someone through that get them from point A to point B? So that's the first thing is that this isn't a book that's going to teach them everything that you know. I get a lot of professionals who who really get worried. Well, if I put it all in there, they won't need me. But do-it-yourselfers are not good clients. You don't want them. So if somebody takes your book and they can go do it, great. You've you know you, you've added to your your karma balance in the world. But the clients who are going to pay you don't want to do it themselves. They want to work with an expert who can do it for them. And they want to see that you've got a process, uh, you know, that you can demonstrate that in the book. Um, and, you know, the other, the other part of that fear of putting too much in there is that if you've been doing this, you mentioned it a, a minute ago, Sasha, like if you've been doing this for more than a, a, a few years, you're more of an expert than your clients will ever be. You've already forgotten more than they know. We couldn't put everything that you know into a book and keep it at a thousand pages because you know more than that. And we're talking about writing a book that's easily consumable. It's maybe a hundred to 150 pages long. There's no way we're getting everything that you know in there. We're not going to be able to teach someone to do what you do. We just want to give them confidence that you're the right person so that they, they know who to trust. That's the thing that most people are walking around when they've got a big problem to solve. And if they're coming to talk to a lawyer, they have a big problem. No one comes to a lawyer unless there's a big problem. And so they want to know that you understand the problem. You've got a plan to fix it. And they don't know who to trust. They're not qualified to judge your credentials over someone else. They, It's great. You're, you know, best lawyers in America, you know, or on what, whatever other list that, that, um, that you're on. Those are all great things. But really, they really want to work with the one who wrote the book. They want to know that you can demonstrate to them 
that there's a process that you're going to follow that will solve their problem. And that's what you get an opportunity to demonstrate in the book. And so, um, so first we got to know what, what goes in it. And then how do we get it written? Everybody likes to think that the writing of the book is this big project that should take forever. Um, and, uh, I'll ne- I've talked to so many lawyers who will tell me, yeah, I'm going to try and do this. And I've got one Friday afternoon every month set aside to get this done. And a year from now I should be done. Well, that's a bad answer for two reasons. One, if you're only working on it one Friday a month, then you're going to spend at least half of that time trying to figure out where you left off before. So you're, you're not going to get very far, very fast. And what we see when people try that is they end up going down rabbit holes and it's very hard for them to finish the book. But the other problem there is that you're losing a lot of money every day that you don't have the book. Every day it's not out there working for you, bringing in new clients, you are losing money. So um, our approach is a little bit different. We want to compress the time and we do that by working with your brain, the way the brain wants to work. See, if you create a really great roadmap for the content in the book, you know, and I kind of outlined what that, that content structure is. And when we work with a, a lawyer, we take them through and get a really granular outline for what's going to go in the book so that when they go to write, it's very, very easy to know what comes next. And then if they can devote just 30 minutes or an hour a day over the course of about 30 days, they'll have the book done. And it won't feel hard or difficult. It, it won't be something where they, they're continually going to cocktail parties and say, yeah, I'm still working on that book. And people are going, it's not done yet. But we're trying to work with the way the brain wants to work. The brain's really great at doing focused bursts of, of in, you know, intense thinking. And that's what that 30 minute a day or an hour a day is to get the book written. And if you've got a really great roadmap, then you just peek ahead and say, okay, well, what are the next mile posts on my roadmap? Where am I going to go tomorrow? And then you just go about your day, you go to sleep, your subconscious will write the next piece of the book for you. You'll wake up. And most of our clients tell us that they'll wake up in the morning once they get two or three days into this and their brain adjusts to what they're doing. And they'll tell us, I just, I have to run to my keyboard every morning to get it out. You know, and so if you're going to write it yourself, that's the easy way to do it. Um, the easier way to do it, which um, about 50% of our clients choose to do, is they just have us write it for them, and we just do about uh, four uh, four two-hour interviews and pull it all out of their head, and and then they don't have to do any work after that. Never have to touch the keyboard. Long does it take to go from the first interview to actually holding a book in your hands? Uh, it takes about sixty days to get to that point. Um, in about three weeks after the first interview, um, they'll have a first draft to look at. Uh, I like to get that first draft back really quickly because mm-hmm. even if it's at a place where it needs a lot of revision, and sometimes they do. Uh, it's far easier to do that with something concrete in front of you than to just continue talking about a theoretical book. You know, we that's why we do the interviews very quickly and then we go right very quickly and then we adjust. Uh, it's just a much more efficient way to get it done and, and it results in better books. Super interesting. So 
if you pursue the DIY method, the do-it-yourself method for writing the book, not necessarily publishing it, but writing it, which is doable. This is where one of my favorite sayings, discipline equals freedom, truly rings true. Because if you are committed, and I think you have to do it like first thing in the morning, because if you don't, then it's going to take the backseat and chance of you actually being creative at the end of the workday. Is it possible? It's possible. It's just diminished. The mentor who taught me the saying, discipline equals freedom, is a five or six times best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author. And he says that I used to schedule my writings for when I had time, but every day. Then I would group them all at the end of the day. And then I realized that the reason why I write the book is to have the long-term impact on the readers, the community, and my business, and thus my family. Thus, it is a strategic priority. Strategic priority takes precedence over tactical priorities, which is my daily shit that I do day to day, right? I don't write the book every single day, 365 days a year. I need to write a thousand words every morning, six days a week, and I will have a rough draft of my book within a month. And then I'm going to have an editor review it, give me suggestions for improvements or do make those suggestions. I will review it and we're going to have a book within two, three months. So this is where discipline equals freedom. But I really like the other formula, which is done for you, which if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to recap it just to make sure that the listeners, viewers got it correctly. And I got it correctly. Four meetings, two hours each meeting gets you to a rough draft manuscript within a matter of weeks and approximately within 60 days you actually have a book is that about right that's it yeah and we do those four meetings four consecutive days so we meet on a mm. monday tuesday wednesday and thursday so it's all compressed into one week and then you know for that author they're done at that point there's very little left for them to do other than review drafts as they come back Got it. So as a marketer, I'm thinking about the value, like the value that Dr. Burleson was able to squeeze out of the book, which was probably the neighborhood of, again, like 30, 40, 50, 60 million dollars. I have no idea what was the total impact of writing that book, which completely uh, put him in a league of his own because you do not very often see an orthodontist office that dominates a metropolitan area. You don't. It's usually one or two. That's it. Not 20. So let's talk about ROI. What is a cost or what is an investment rather? Because I want to think about this as an investment. How much of an investment should we be thinking about when producing a typical length book, which I see quite a few of them behind you. I think that size is like five and a half by eight inches, give or take. And they're probably roughly like 30, 40,000 words, give or take somewhere in that neighborhood. Maybe a little bit skinnier, maybe a little bit fatter, but somewhere in that neighborhood. Is that about right? So I, I like to think in terms of the page count, we, we mm -hmm. like for them to be about 100 to 150 pages. Okay. That's a great sweet spot. Yeah. Um, shorter than that actually works well, but mm -hmm. I find that, that people don't look at them as being as authoritative because they're, they're really thin. Um, Amazon has got some great statistics that um, books over about 60 pages, the, the consumption rate beyond page 60 yep. really starts to diminish dramatically. Um, that said, 
we find that books that are are below a hundred pages tend not to feel like, wow, this is, you know, this is a real expert here. So 100 to 150 pages is a good range. It's authoritative. And yet it's not so long that when it's sitting on the coffee table of a potential client's, you know, living room, they don't look at it and go, well, that's way too much work. I'm not going to read that. Mm -hmm. They look at it and they go, oh, I could read that in an hour or two. And, you know, and they can breeze through it. So that's what we're, we're really looking to create. Um, and, and, you know, so to get there, that's a, that's probably closer to a 20 or 25,000 word book, um, you know, and, uh, and laid out again in the the specific way that we talked about. So before it goes to print, what would be my investment? So, uh, ranges depending on how we, you know, end up working together, but, you know, anywhere between, you know, maybe 12 or 15,000 on the low end, to between thirty and thirty-five thousand, or thirty-five and forty thousand on the high end. So let's average it out and call it twenty-five grand, somewhere there, right? And then you publish, let's say, I don't know, five hundred copies, and you start distributing them through marketing channels and to existing connections, whether it's referral partners, former clients, current clients, whoever may be in a position to say, "Hey, I know." So when it comes to divorces, right, the stats are in slightly over 50%. I have a very close group of friends. There are four of us. We go back to high school days, 30 years. Guess how many of us got divorced? Two out of four, it's 50%, you know? So like one went through divorce, that's the other one, hey, who'd you use, right? So if there was a book from my former attorney, I'd be like, yeah, check this out. So uh, what do they cost to print? Like five bucks a unit, give or take somewhere there? So for a paperback book, it's actually less than that. It's, less than that. it's about $3 or mm-hmm. $3.50 per copy. You don't have to order them in bulk like the old days. I mean, it used to be you had to clear out space in the garage. You'd have to, you know, go go get your, your spouse to buy into the idea that we're now going to put books everywhere. But um, I I tell our clients, order them in boxes of 100 to, a, to 200 at a time so that you don't have a storage issue. Um, Amazon will print them and send them to you in a couple of weeks uh, when you need more. Um, it's very, very easy, very inexpensive. Hardback books uh, are a little bit more expensive, but not ridiculously. So there may be um, 8 to $10 a copy somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, so let me sum this up. From A to Z, from the very beginning to having, let's say, a thousand copies in your garage. I'll just use this as your garage, right? You're looking at approximately a little under three months and around $30,000. Now, if you practice family law, the example that we used earlier, your average not contested divorce is about 15K. So if you're the solo practitioner at your law firm and you have zero expense associated with providing the services, just you, you have no paralegal, nothing. That's 15 grand. That's just like pure revenue to the firm. Two cases covers that investment, but a book is an evergreen thing. Like you do not expect family law to change dramatically where you're like, I got to start from scratch. I need to write a whole new book. That's not going to happen. 
right? So you made that one time investment of $30,000 and now you have an evergreen marketing product that can be repurposed a number of different ways. I, as a marketer, think that every chapter could become a blog post, an article on third-party websites that are authoritative, like so many different ways to slice up and dice it to create additional streams of incoming business. So I am thinking that, again, by, by creating such a book, your ROI probably within a year or two could easily be 10x, like easily, easily. And over time, it would be substantially more. What I do find very interesting that, although you exist, and there are other companies that provide similar service that I have seen, it is incredibly rare that you would run into a law firm owner or a lawyer that has actually written a book on the subject matter that they're actually expert in. Despite this being a relatively small investment, let's say relatively small investment, again, like two cases, two clients pay for it. Why do you think that is? I think, um, you know, for a lot of, uh, a lot of lawyers, they, they have a, a fear of being judged by their peers. You know, we see this, uh, I, I, you make a face, uh-huh. but I, I, we go through no, I believe it. With I believe it. Yeah. Clients that that have come on and and have made the investment, and then they get really concerned about what their peers are going to think, um, you know. And and I understand that you know you're you're coming out of a uh, an educational you know background, the training that you've had, where every I has to be dotted, every T crossed, everything cited. But this isn't that, you know, and this isn't for that audience. And my standard answer for them is unless they're paying you, they don't get a vote. It doesn't matter what any other attorney thinks, unless for some reason they are the client or they're the primary referral source, in which case we're going to write a book that's targeted to them. But, you know, if, if what we're really concerned about is that, that client that's going to hire you, then this is for them. And, and they're the only ones that count. Um, and the way that we measure effectiveness is how many of those people now get the book, trust you because of that, and now become a client either, you know, one time, you know, in, in, uh, the case of more transactional practices, or they become a lifelong client. And, uh, so we work with, uh, you know, folks in estate planning law where they're getting the client once and taking them to the estate plan and then they're maintaining the trusts and all of the other things and, and put them on a, a long-term subscription, um, you know, where they pay annually as a, a member of the firm, uh, you know, a member client of the firm. So there's all kinds of different models and ways to do it, but the ROI is really never an issue. You know, you mentioned like two, two clients in, in that scenario would pay for it uh, right out of the gate um, easily. Our goal is that you land your first client within 90 days of the day we start. Um, and so that, you know, I want our clients to have paid for this process. I want it to be free to them, uh, within three to six months from the day we start, you know, so that the, this is now an asset in the business. And, and that's the other thing about a book that's, I think a little bit different. Um, I like to divide marketing into assets on one side and tactics on the other, and you need both. But I see a lot of people jump from tactic to tactic to tactic. I'm going to post on Facebook. Now I'm going to do Instagram reels. That's the latest thing. Um, I'm going to do Google ads and then Facebook ads and TikTok ads. Those are all great. You need all of those, but you also need marketing assets. And really, if, if you're smart about it, 
you're going to invest in the marketing asset first. And a book is a marketing asset. Once you have it, once you've invested in it, once you own it, it pays dividends for the long term. You know, if you stop paying for Google ads tomorrow, they stop running them tomorrow. And what you're, you know, if you're working with, you know, an agency, I know, Sasha, you guys work with a lot of firms to help them with this. The very best thing that you can do to help that agency be successful is give them an authority piece like a book mm-hmm. because it's going to do better on lead gen with advertising. They're going to, it's going to do better on social because they're going to be able to go into your book and you don't have to come up with new content every week. You just say, Hey, here's the book. And they're going to be able to go into the book and give you video scripts for long form videos and shorts and podcasts. They're going to be able to pull articles out of that, um, all kinds of things. And you're never going to have to really do any work to come up with content because you've, you've done it all and you did it in, you know, like if you go through our, our interview process, you did it in eight hours over four days instead of hour after hour after hour, month after month after month to feed the machine. Makes perfect sense. And what you brought up was super interesting to me that many lawyers may be shy when it comes to actually creating and publishing a book because they feel like they would be judged by by their peers. But guess what? Dr. Burleson was certainly judged by his peers. And he doesn't give a flying you-know-what because he left all his way to the bank with his 30, 40, 50 million dollars. It doesn't matter what other people think at all. It's Well, it may matter 10 years later when you're running an exceptionally profitable business and they wonder how you did it. And then you can laugh at them. That's just it. I mean, it's, if, if what you're doing is legal, moral, and ethical, yeah. then what are you worried about? Yeah. So true. There are so many other things that I wish to cover, but, but we're running out of time. Perhaps we can do a part two sometime in the future, but for now, for those to. people who are listening to this, watching this, reading this, where can they go to learn more about how you work with professionals like law firm owners and help them generate additional revenues through book publishing? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank you for asking. Uh, our website is milliondollarauthor.io. So milliondollarauthor.io. And we've actually set up a page just for listeners of the podcast. So if you go to milliondollarauthor.io, slash grow law firm. What you'll find there is a free copy of uh, my latest book, which is called The Million Dollar Book. Um, There's some other free resources that'll help you if you're thinking about uh, writing your own book, some things that'll help get you started. And uh, there's also a link on there if you want to talk to me personally. I'd love to, to speak with any of your listeners so they can book a time on my calendar. Amazing offer. Steve, been a wealth of resource. Thank you so much. Sasha, this has been a blast. Thank you for having me on and and, uh, love the podcast. Love what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.